we have said throughout this sermon series that we, we are doing this series because we have a tendency to view ourselves and our value in light of culture. That culture ends up defining uh, how we view self and uh, who we are. And we uh, indeed uh, must view ourselves in light of three events in what uh, uh, theologians call salvation history. Uh, we'll call these three events in all of history as rather remarkable events. The first of which is creation. Uh, God created us. Uh, the second is the crucifixion. The God who created us sent his son to die for us. So our value lies in who created us. Secondly, our value lies in the father who created us sent his son to die for us. And then the third word is the, uh, the, the most unknown of the three, the consummation. Consummation refers to the end of time when, when Christ comes for his church. Our value is seen in that we're created by God, that Jesus died for us, and that Jesus loves us and longs to be with us. He longs to be with us face to face. As a matter of fact, you may recall, perhaps you hear this passage quoted uh, oftentimes at a funeral service, Jesus saying, in my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So God loves us and he wants to be with us. Yet, uh, if we buy into the culture's view of greatness, the culture's view of who we are, we will we'll seek greatness. Uh, perhaps it's through academic achievement, it's through career achievement, it's through athletic achievement. There, there are many ways that we will go after and pursue greatness. It's the approval of others, it's, it's uh, financial greatness. There are just so many ways that we'll do that and begin to view ourselves in light of that. And if it's good, we're good, and if it's not, we're not. Mark Dever, who pastors in uh, Washington, D.C., Talks of he and his wife who walked their dogs among the uh, among the uh, the cemetery there, where uh, are buried some very notable people who in their day were very well known. These were senators and uh, representatives, and he talks of how uh, they look and see the names and realize that uh, today not many people would even recognize that name. And then he tells the story of his friend D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson, speaking of the death of his father, says this, When Dad died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no notice in the papers, no announcements on the television, no mansion in the parliament, no notice in the nation. In his hospital room, there was only the quiet hiss of oxygen vainly venting because Dad had stopped breathing and would never do it again. He said, but on the other side, all the trumpets sounded. Dad won admittance to the only throne room that matters. Not because he was a good man or a great man, but because he was a forgiven man. And that's how we must view ourselves. I would ask you at the outset of this, mor uh, this uh, sermon this morning, are you a forgiven man? Are you a forgiven woman? Are you a forgiven teenager? That, my friend, 
changes everything. It changes everything. And so based on Paul's writing to the Corinthians here, we discover this sequence of truths. And the first truth is that we have a new mindset. Look at verse 16. From now on. I love those words. I love new beginnings. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. To regard is to think about. To think about. So we, from now on, do not think about anyone according to the flesh. What does that mean? What does it mean not to think about someone else according to the flesh? So what uh, Paul is writing here is that prior to coming to Christ, you viewed other people simply as human beings. Perhaps you viewed them as created by God, depending on where you were in your faith. But that's it. They are a brother or sister in human terms. But when you came to Christ, every other person who is in Christ at that moment became your brother and your sister. And no longer do you regard them, I would say the the fuller uh, understanding of this is merely according to the flesh. You regard them, yes, according to the flesh. That's a man, that's a woman. But now you regard them as, that's a man who's my brother in Christ. That's a woman who's my sister in Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, this is a new mindset. We do not naturally think this way. It's brand new. And where have I seen it most profoundly? In other countries on mission trips. Years ago, we took our first trip to Senegal, Africa. And that Sunday morning, I was in the truck with the missionary The crew, about 15, 16, were in the safari bus. We were both headed to the same church, but they were coming from one direction, and the missionary said, I know a shortcut all through the desert, all through the sand, in his four-wheel drive truck, we'll go the shortcut. We get there, and except for him, I am most noticeable. Why? We're in Africa, and I'm the only white man in the room. It's full of Africans. Church is packed. The front is packed. We're out in the bush. No electricity. Uh, they're seated. The windows are open. Children are seated here. The place is packed. And they're waiting for this group of Americans to arrive. Well, we sit there. No group. No group. It always blows my mind that where there is no electricity, there are cell phones. And there are. And so the missionary gets a call, and he looks at me, and he says, I've got to go. And I'm thinking, where are you taking me? I'm out in the middle of nowhere. There's no way I can find myself out of here. And he said, the group is stuck. I've got to go help them get unstuck. You carry on. 
Wow. So he left, and finally they nodded to me. It was time to preach. They sang. I got up. I preached through three different interpreters, Wolof, Serer, and French, three languages spoken in that place, hoping they would get uh, the gospel, that they would understand what I'm saying, that it would travel through their language, their culture, that kind of thing. Finally, about 2 o'clock, the bus shows up. Everybody's gone. I'm just hanging out, waiting on the crew to get there. The bus shows up, and when they do, uh, they had gotten stuck. It was terrible. They had finally gotten out, of course, and they got there, and we met under a large tree, and the people in this village saw us, uh, the rest of the crew, and they started making their way over. I do not recall how this happened, but someone began to start singing a song that as it turned out, they knew too. And we stood under that large tree outside that church building and in multiple languages sang the same song. I so hope that I never forget that. I looked at Emily Gaddy who was with us and tears were streaming down her face. There was a sense of the presence of God in a palpable way underneath that tree as we all together in our own languages, different skin colors, realize we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this country that is mostly Muslim, there we stand singing these songs of God together as the people of God. It was unreal. Just five weeks ago, we were in Ecuador, Sunday morning service. They had been gracious enough to put the words in English on the screen for us Americans who were there joining them in that service. We were in the church veritable. It's just a fantastic church, packed full, people lining the walls. Father's Day. I was to preach and preach in Spanish, which is always nerve-wracking. As a matter of fact, the morning of, I had written my sermon in Spanish the week before, but the morning of, I thought, you know, Jerry, you probably should check this thing, make sure the words are fine. So I took the sermon, ran it through a Google Translator, thank God. When I did, I discovered the word Pueblo is, is village and the word Muebles is furniture, and I confused the two. And I told them that the reason they do ministry in the furniture that was right there in English, you know, when I translated, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. Like, they would have lost it. We do ministry in the furniture. No, we do ministry in the villages. And so it was before I was to preach, I leaned over to someone from the church, and I said, do you know how great thou art? And they said, oh, yeah. I said, all right. So I went up, and I got behind the keyboard, and I began to lead us to sing how great thou art. And as I did, we are singing it to the top of our lungs in English. They are singing it to the top of their lungs in Spanish. That place is filled with the music of this great old song. And I, we are just overcome. Why? 
we realize that we regard no lo- uh, uh, each other no longer according to the flesh. We see each other according. There's a different relationship here that goes well beyond uh, you just being another human being. No, you are singing to the God we're singing to. Though we're singing in two different languages, our God is hearing us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I look back at Gary Grindstaff. His arms are lifted, tears rolling down down his face. He's just blown away as God is just moving in that place through that powerful time of worship. That's what Paul is talking about. But this next point was mind-blowing to me as I prepared this week, even though, verse 16, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. All right, so I think the longer you walk with the Lord and the more you serve him, the farther away you get from the reality that before you knew him, you only considered him to be another man. He was just another man. Before he was your Lord, he was simply another man. Oh, you may have thought, well, he was a historical figure, or you may have thought he was the Son of God. But until he became your Savior... You regarded him according to the flesh. Wow. There was no spiritual connection between you and Christ. Before Christ, that was every one of us. That's how we thought, right? But it especially was so for Paul. Especially. You see, in Paul's days, there arose constant, during Jesus' time, messiahs. There were a dime a dozen they would rise up, preach. As one, somebody told me one time, they'd blow in, blow up, and blow out. That's what they would do. And so they would preach, and they would claim to be the Messiah, only to be discovered to be fake, to be imposters. And so, so in Paul's estimation, Jesus was just another one. He was another imposter. He was fake. He was a would-be Messiah who wasn't the real deal. As a matter of fact, if you go to, all, uh, to, to Acts 8, uh, Paul uh, is named Saul at that time. Listen to, to, to how he rolled. And Saul approved of his, Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, the first martyr of the church, and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was, look at that word, ravaging the church. Ravaging the church. He dragged uh, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Don't miss that. Saul uh, believed vehemently that Jesus was just another man. He only regarded him according to the flesh. You cannot miss this in Paul's life, in his journey. Well, but Saul, this is later, in 8, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Was, he was a, a hunter of Christians. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting them? Is that what the voice said? 
What did it say, class? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why? Because Jesus regards no one who is in him according to the flesh. That's why. When you came to Christ, no longer does Jesus regard you according to the flesh. You're heirs and joint heirs. You're a brother or a sister of Christ himself. Do you know what has to happen? Please hear me. His regard of us is here, and often our regard of his regard of us. I know it's a bit complex, but it's huge. Often our regard of his regard of us is here. When Stephen was stoned to death, who got persecuted? Say it, Jesus. That's what he said. Why are you persecuting me? Do, do you get that? Or better yet, does that get you? That standing in front of you is Christ. Behind you is Christ. You want Old Testament prefiguring of this? An Old Testament prefiguring of this? Cloud by day, fire by night. Right, this is, this is Christ. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Nor drank. The reason Paul no longer regarded Christ according to the flesh was because that Jesus showed up to him in the Spirit. And that's the only way you and I will get there. And here's the new mindset. If you're in Christ, everyone else who is, is your brother, they're your sister. How many of you remember Will Winters? Remember Will? He preached here. He volunteered in our ministry here. Will uh, went uh, to, almost two years ago now to take a pastorate in Spruce Pine. He's in our mentoring group. And tonight I have the joy of trekking across the hill and preaching Will's ordination service as he's being ordained into Christian ministry. What a joy that is. Had lunch with him on Thursday. Perhaps you don't know that, that for 10 months out of the year, once a month, we now has grown to two groups, a morning group and an evening group, an afternoon group rather, the morning group, the, those who've been in ministry longer, the afternoon group, those who've been in ministry uh, less time or not yet entered ministry. Uh, folks that, that I'm privileged and honored to mentor. Among them, of course, we're a Southern Baptist church. Among them, there's one Church of God pastor, Presbyterian, non-denominational, independent. I love it. 
I love the fact that we all come into the room together with our different uh, uh, kind of nuances of how we do what we do. And, and this fall, for the very first time in the newer group, two, two uh, women, we have uh, uh, two pastors, a uh, brand new pastor this fall who uh, is in Morganton, who's African-American. We uh, another who's been in our group for two or three years, who's African-American. I just love that. I love that, that we in this room regard no one else according to the flesh. We, we don't. We regard each other according to the spirit. I love that. So we have a new mindset, but it's based on a new reality. What is our new reality? Verse 17, therefore, this is the off-quoted verse, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love that. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He is a new creation. God is a creator God. He created us once. He created us twice. Uh, we are a new creation. Well, that word new, I looked it up. Uh, what does new mean? Because, you know, we just assume new. But the first word that shows up in, in the etymology of this word new is fresh. Fresh. All right, so, so let me ask you, just, just kind of get off the lofty theological heights for a moment. If you have your choice to eat a tomato in December or a tomato in July, when do you want to eat a tomato? In July. Right, it's fresh off the vine. Is the taste different? Oh, you better believe it. All right, so Wendy and I last uh, 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 Sunday celebrated, we go today, our 18th anniversary. God bless her. Um, put up with me for 18 years. So a week ago Friday, we trekked to Dollywood, just the two of us. I know, just being big kids, just the two of us. And so we trekked over on Thursday night, spent the night, got up Friday morning, and off we head to Dollywood. Hadn't been to Dollywood in like 15 years. All right, so we're walking in, we're going through, walking around, no agenda, no big deal, just checking things out, riding rides, every coaster we thought we should get on. You know, don't know why, because, you know, when you get old, things just get jostled around, you know, in the head. And, and so, but at any rate, we're just jumping on coasters and doing this thing. And, uh, and so we walk by this ride, and it's called Dropline. Um, I looked at it, and it, look pretty benign, but if you know me, I, I'm petrified of heights. Like if I'm watching anything on television and they're jumping out of something high, my family will say, let us see your palms. And they commence to making fun of me because they're sweaty, aren't they, Hannah? Oh, yes, every time. It's horrible. It's absolutely, I'm just petrified. But for some reason, I thought that was no big deal. And so I said to her, honey, let's go get on that thing. She said, are you kidding me? I'm like, nah, let's just do it. It's, just, it's no big deal. Well, I, I did research later, discovered it's 230 feet in the air. 230 feet. And so we go get in line, we get on the thing, and it starts going up. And it's going up, and it's going up. And finally I looked at her and said, this is higher than I thought. And she looked back at me and said, I tried to tell you, probably the story of 18 years, right? I tried to tell you. And so we get to the very top, and we're at the very top, and I can't bear to open my eyes. I can't bear to look around. But have you ever been scared on a ride and you're beside a punk? Have you ever had that experience? To my left, punk rider, right? She, might I add, 
arms out, legs out. Woo, when's this thing going to let go? And I'm like, you're an idiot, but I'm the worst one. Like, I'm terrified at this moment. And all of a sudden, boom, there we go. We drop down and we're on the ground and I'm just kind of staggering out. I'm like, honey, she said, I tried to tell you. But I received a text from Dave, a bit redemptive, and he said, Jerry, you got to go eat the cinnamon bread. All right, some of you are shaking your head like, yes. Cinnamon bread. I said, where is it? He told me, so we make our way there. Wendy and I have been trying to be so good about what we eat until we walked in the cinnamon bread store. We walked in there, and there is just the smell of cinnamon and sugar, right? It's like the two white powders that are evil. Sugar and flour are mixed. Add a little cinnamon to it, and oh, my goodness. So we bought our cinnamon, you know, loaf this big. We walked out. We sat at a table you thought we wouldn't have eaten for years, we're just digging into this thing like there's no tomorrow, eating this stuff. And this guy walks by, and he leads over, and he said, that's good, isn't it? I guess he could tell. And we said, it really is. He said, yeah, our whole crew of five just demolished that. And he walked off, and I said, honey, our crew of two demolished this. <laughs> so, so we bought a second one. No lie. To bring home. Do you know what was interesting? We bought it actually to bring today for the recommendation. And the next day, it didn't taste near as good. Not even near as good. As a matter of fact, as we say in our house, it wasn't worth the calories. Why? It wasn't fresh. Now, what this says here is that when you come to Christ, he makes you brand new fresh and if i understand the balance of scripture and the spirit's work he does it every day you say jerry how do you know manna in the wilderness came how often daily jesus said give us this day or what daily bread lamentations three his mercies are new every what morning god just keeps Re-upping makes us fresh daily. Daily. We, we must have a, this new mindset that, that results in a new reality. You are a new creation. God creates you twice. He created you when you were conceived in your mother's womb. And he recreated you when you were born again. That's what he said to Nicodemus in John 3. You must be born again. He creates you twice. Look at verse 18. All this is from God. Just in case you think maybe you had to be good enough or you have to be good enough. No, it's from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We'll deal with the rest of that verse in just a minute. Murray J. Harris says this, Reconciliation is not some polite ignoring or reduction of hostility, but rather it's total and objective removal. Well, how did he do it? If you and I only thought of Jesus as another man, 
And we went from thinking of him as another man to the man who calls the shots in our lives. How? It's this amazing, verse 21. For our sake, he, God, made him Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. So I want you to hear me on this. I remember laboring over this verse. Well, did Christ really become sin? There's been so much written on this. have no time to go into it. How and when did this happen? What happened? Remember Danny Aiken, who was my uh, uh, president of seminary, he also taught one of my doctoral uh, groups, cohorts. And he said this. He said, I believe that 2 Corinthians 5.21 happened when Jesus screamed from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, I believe in that moment of God turning his back on his son that on Christ was placed all the sin of the world. So I would ask you to do a little exercise with me just for a moment. This may be as recent as last night. It may push back a few days or weeks or months. But the last time you did the thing that you never said, that you said you would never do again, the guilt you felt, the weight you carried, Could you imagine in your own life all of those moments of failure and sin being compressed into one and the emotional weight of that falling on you? You'd you'd buckle, wouldn't you? You, you'd, You'd crumble. If all of the sin and all of the accompanying guilt came in at once you'd be done yet on the cross you times billions all of your guilt and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours and yours yours at once came down on Christ the father turned away he screamed out in agonizing rejection my God my God why have you forsaken me and the why is your sin and mine it's it's us That it's us. For our sake, God put our sin on his son that we might become his righteousness. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's unbelievable, which results... The third truth in a new role. What is our role? We are ambassadors. An ambassador is simply someone who's chosen by his or her government to represent the government to another entity. We are chosen by Christ to represent him to others. What do we spend the rest of our lives doing? 
telling the story. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was in darkness, but now I'm in light. We're a representative appointed by God. So this reconciliation is God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself is both a completed act at the cross and an ongoing work, right? When you, when you blow it again, there's this reconciliation that happens. There's this ongoing work of God in Christ where he is constantly interceding for us, stepping in on our behalf. What a Savior. What a God. What a plan. There is no other world religion with a God like this, with a Savior like that, with a Son like that, with a plan like that, with grace like that, with favor like that, with joy like that, with benefits like that. There is no other. Only God sends his son to die for the sins of people who crucified him. Unbelievable. So this is why Paul says, we implore you on behalf, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We beg you, we put it out there, we make ourselves, he says at another place, like a fool. I'm saying to you again and again and again, be reconciled to God. It's there for the taking. Be reconciled to God. Years and years ago as a youth pastor, this young man came into a youth group as a visitor. I discovered he was lost. Didn't know Christ. I remember... They'd come and shoot ball and play around and then come into my office. So he stepped in my office and I looked at him and said, uh, hey, do you know Christ? He said, no, I don't. Uh, I said, would you like to know him? He said, no, I wouldn't. I said, okay. When you're ready, let's talk. A few months passed and I mean, he kept coming every week, playing ball, hanging out. Called him into my office again. Hey, man, remember that conversation? Yeah, I do. Do you know Christ? No, I don't. Well, when you're ready, let's talk. I said, do you want to? No, I don't. What did he do? He regarded Christ according to the flesh. I said, when you're ready, let's talk. He said, okay. Well, summer rolled around and I took our students to Castle, where our students just returned from. He went. It was one night I honestly had gone down to pray about something in my own life when I felt a tap on my shoulder. I looked around, and there stood Jamie. Many of you know him, Jamie Stevens. There stood Jamie. I said, Jamie, what are you doing here? He said, I want to know him. I said, tonight, right here? He said, tonight, right here. And we bowed that night right there. Jamie is reconciled to God. And he no longer regarded him according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jamie's a member of this church with his wife, Casey, the little baby. Uh, he was, he's working today. His wife, baby, were here this this morning, the early service. It's not my job, not my work. I can't do it, can I? Only God can. This is all from God. 
right? This is all from God. Oh, you could just camp out if you're feeling down about yourself, the fact that you're in Christ. This is all from God. You had nothing to do with it. It's all from him. One day he found you. One day he chose you. One day I could like preach a whole other sermon. I'm not going to do that. So let me end this one. As I was thinking through this, I thought of this old song. I grew up singing some old, old songs. They're all stuck still in my head. And I'm glad for that. They're, they're good songs. But Joseph Hart wrote this song. And Joseph Hart grew up in England. And in a good family, went to church, attended church, and did all of the things. And, and, and parents were good, all that kind of thing. But he wandered away. And here's how he described himself at the age of 45. He, well, well, here's how he described himself. And then I'll, I'll tell you what happened. He said, I was a loose backslider, an audacious apostate, and a bold-faced rebel. That's his self-description. At the age of 45, he found himself at a Moravian chapel listening to the great George Whitfield, and he came to Christ. And he wrote this song. That's the title of the sermon. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched. Weak and wounded, sick and sore, Jesus ready stands to save you. Full of pity, I love this, and joined with power. Like he feels for you and he's able to do something about your sin. He is able, he is able, he is will in doubt no more. We're going to give you a chance to receive him this morning. Come you needy, come and welcome God's free bounty. Glorify true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Without money, this is from Isaiah, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Come, you weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. Please hear me, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. You won't get better. Sin is a disease for which the only cure is Christ. Not the righteous, not the righteous. Sinners, aren't you glad? Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. Venture on him, venture holy. Let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. And then in the, I think, second great awakening was added this refrain. I will arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms what a picture. In the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. I would stand before you and say today, having received Christ as a 15-year-old for 35 years, I would say there have been more than 10,000 charms. Would you come? If you don't know him this morning, would you trust him? If you've wandered from him, would you come home? 
If you're off center, would you pray and repent? Now, if you've heard this old song, this is not how we're getting ready to sing it. A new way. Same words, similar words. Let's stand. Let's worship. We'll be here to pray with you. Respond. Whatever your need is, we'd love to pray with you this morning.